0: You're listening to the Redemption Church podcast with Pastor Daniel Williams as we go through a series called God Redeems, a study through the book of Exodus. We are going to move forward in our Bible study in Exodus chapter 25 this evening, Exodus chapter 25. And uh, last week... If you weren't here with us i encourage you to go back and and listen to the message because we talked about the ark of the covenant and the ark of the covenant okay and and what's happening right now is moses was up on uh the mountain and moses was uh getting the ten commandments and we've kind of been through that we've walked through the ten commandments we broke it into four parts talked about the ten commandments for a long time right and now and then we kind of get into this section now Right where beyond the Ten Commandments, God broke down some some laws and uh, some different things of how the people are, are going to be together. It's kind of like the Ten Commandments are God's law for how the people are going to commune with Him, and then some of them are how God is uh, how they're going to commune with others in the midst of their things. And then He gave them some more detailed laws about how they're to do things. And now He's giving them the instructions for the tabernacle. Now we know that throughout this entire process that god's presence has been with the children of israel in a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke okay fire by night so that they could see and be led through the middle of the wilderness and smoke uh during the day and now god is telling them where this fire rest i want you to set up camp or where the smoke rest i want you to set up camp but now he's even going to take them deeper and say when you set up camp i want you to build a place where i will dwell Okay, And he's going to set up a system of sacrifice, he's going to set up a system that the people would be able to commune with God right? And so we talked about that last week. We talked about the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant representing the throne of God. It represents Jesus incarnate. We see the wooden box covered in gold with the mercy seat on top of it. And we talked about the fact that when Jesus was crucified on the cross, right, when he took those sins in himself, right, that Ark had representations of different times of failures and God's mercy mercy upon the children of Israel in their time of rebellion against the holy God. They had them inside of the box, and that was covered with this mercy seat, and the blood would be poured upon the mercy seat, the deity, the fullness of God, right there. And they would be able to be in the fullness of the presence of God, just the high priest, right? And we talked about the fact that Jesus is our high priest, and now we get to be in the presence of a holy God because of what he has done, because of what he has done. So this becomes the most important piece of furniture in all of the tabernacle. And we talked about the idea that the tabernacle means dwelling, the dwelling place, right? And in John 1:14 it says that Jesus' tabernacled, the word tabernacled among us. He dwelt among us, that's what it means. He tabernacled among us. He put on a temporary tent, flesh, and he walked among us. So all of this is a picture of Jesus, not just the Ark of the Covenant, all of it. And it's such a beautiful illustration. So tonight we're gonna talk about two different pieces of furniture, okay, Uh, so because That's where we are in Scripture, and God breaks down in detail what these pieces of furniture are supposed to look like, and we'll see also that they do represent throughout Scripture various different things, okay? So these things are really important. So if you'll join me in Exodus chapter 25, uh, verses 23 through 40 tonight, I entitled this message, The Holy Place Encountering Grace. Okay, and so if you look at the breakdown of the tabernacle, get this out of here, okay? Uh, we have a couple of more of these left, if I'm not mistaken. I know I have an extra one. Uh, if you don't have one and you'd like one, this is just a, a pamphlet of symbolism through the tabernacle. Um, so, uh, and if you... Would like one of these and I don't have enough I'll give you the ones I have and we'll just have to order a couple more Uh, so it gives you a breakdown of what the tabernacle would look like okay kind of a a picture of what it would look like when it was fully constructed now many of you know that I just got back from a trip from Israel and when I was in Israel we went to a uh, one of the hotels that we stayed in in uh, the West Bank actually had a full life-size model of the tabernacle built, okay? And so I went to Israel five years ago in 2018, and then I was able to go again just a few weeks ago at the uh, beginning of June, end of May, beginning of June, and uh, we went both times. So the first time they did a full reenactment of what a ceremony would look like as they worshiped in the tabernacle. This time they just kind of talked about it and went through it. Uh, with us but they have this tent built they have the the holy of holies they have all of this type of stuff uh, set up and so you see that the tabernacle in its setup has an exterior fence around it okay we'll talk about that there's these posts with linen curtains in between them we'll talk about that in the weeks to come all right but tonight we're going to talk about what's called the holy place last week we talked about the holy of holies Okay, this is the inner, inner sanctuary. This is the place where only the high priest can go and only once a year, okay? Now, tonight, we're gonna talk about the place where the priest hung out most of the time, okay? So every day, the priest would go into the tabernacle and they would worship the Lord in the tabernacle in this holy place. Okay, now they had their jobs inside of the temple. They all had this stuff to do inside of the temple, but each of the priests during that time period, okay, would be able to go into this holy place here and they would be able to do these acts of worship. So we're gonna see that there's three different items inside of there. Tonight we're gonna talk about two of them because that's what shows up in this part of the scripture here. But the three items that are inside of this place is a lampstand. Okay, and then we have the showbread table, the table of the showbread, okay? And the last thing is the altar of the incense, okay? Now, each of these three things are very important and they represent something very specifically. But you have to understand, not just any Joe Schmo, right? Could walk into this area, right? It had to be a priest the priest would go in here and they would attend to these things and worship the Lord through these things in this area, okay? Now, most of you guys know, if you know any of the history of Israel and the Passover, when they would bring okay the lambs for the Passover and they would do it, there was a special altar out here outside in the outer court of the area where they would bring the offerings all right and there's uh there was a special altar built outside where those individual offerings would happen and then that final offering of the high priest would happen inside of the Holy of Holies. So when you read the scripture that they're Passover week and all of these people are coming to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, they're all bringing their lambs into the priest and they get them there. Now, when we see that the temple is fully built in Jerusalem and no longer a tent, this kind of changes a little bit. It's not as simple in its makeup. It becomes more a sectional space where there's a space for the Gentiles to worship, a space for the Jews to worship, and then the holy of Hol- or then the holy place, and then the holy of holies. So then it becomes kind of an extra tiered court out here. And so when Jesus goes into the temple and turns over the tables, okay, it's not the tabernacle; it's the temple. All right. So there is a slight difference between the tabernacle and the the temple when it becomes a permanent dwelling but all of this part right here that remains exactly the same in the temple okay that holy place where only the priest can go and the holy of holies where only the high priest can go so these things that we're going to talk about tonight are in the holy place okay so if you were a priest from the line of Aaron okay the Levites they would be able to go into this place if it was their assigned job and they would be able to minister to the Lord in this way, okay? And we're gonna talk about these items that are there. So uh, this is a great little thing. You can look up each of the items we're gonna talk about and it gives you a brief description of those items and where they're found in different parts of the scripture. So I just wanted to give you that visual representation about these things that we're gonna talk about as I begin to read this scripture from Exodus 25, verse 2. 23 Make a table of acacia wood 2 cubits long, a cubit wide and a cubit and a half high. Overlay it with pure gold and make a gold molding around it. Also make around it a rim a handbreadth wide, handbreadth wide and put a gold molding on the rim. Make four gold rings for the table and fasten them to the four corners where the four legs are. The rings are to be close to the rim to hold the poles used to carry the table. Make the poles of acacia wood, overlay them with gold, and carry the table with them. Make its plates and dishes of pure gold, as well as its pitchers and bowls for the pouring out of offerings. Put the bread of the presence on the table to be before me at all times." 31 make a lampstand of pure gold hammer out its base and shaft and make its flower like cups buds and blossoms of one piece with them six branches are to extend from the side of the lampstand three on one side and three on the other three cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms are to be on one branch, three on the next branch, and the same for all six branches extending from the lampstand. And the lampstand, there are to be four cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms. Uh, One bud shall be under the first pair of branches extending from the lampstand, a second bud under the second pair, and the third bud under the third pair, six branches in all. The buds and branches shall be of one piece with the lampstand, hammered out of pure gold. Then make its seven lamps and set them up on it, so that the light, so that they light the space in front of it. The wick trimmers and trays are to be of pure gold. A talent of pure gold is to be used for the lampstand and all these accessories. See that you make them according to the pattern shown you on the mountain, okay? So let's start with the table of showbread. Okay, so last week we talked about the Ark of the Covenant. We talked about the fact that the Ark of the Covenant was about 48 inches long, about 27 inches wide, and about 27 inches high. The table for showbread is of similar dimensions, but it's taller, okay? So it's, it's about the height of this right here, but it has the same width and the same length as the Ark of the Covenant. Now, this is outside in the holy place where the priest could access it. Okay? So, but if you look at the description, it's very similar to the ark of the covenant. The difference is is there's no solid gold mercy seat up on it with the cherubim up on it, but it is still made of acacia wood overlaid with pure gold. They still couldn't touch it in the same way that they couldn't touch the Ark of the Covenant when they carried it around. They could only touch it when they were putting bread on it or when they were making offerings up on it or removing the bread that they would be able to eat. So this was also a very holy piece of furniture. Okay. Now, the interesting thing that you see here is that when you look at this particular piece of, of furniture, okay, the whole purpose of it is that there's bread up on the, the piece of furniture. Okay. Now, when we talked about the Ark of the Covenant last week, we talked about inside of the Holy of Holies, it represents Jesus. It represents that He died for us. It represents our access to a holy God, even though We are sinners, okay? But I also want to tell you, because Scripture did say, and we looked at it last week through the book of Hebrews, Scripture said that all of these things inside of the tabernacle are a shadow or a symbol of the things in heaven, right? And so we see here in this, when you look through the book of Revelation, when you look through, there's no bread table, okay? There's no bread table. This bread table has a specific representation, okay? Now, I know we talked about the fact that inside of the Holy of Holies represents Jesus, but one of the things that you have to understand that Jesus, okay, as the high priest, there in the Holy of Holies, even before that, before we could be drawn in, Jesus presents himself to you and I okay, he presents himself to you and I, those of us. Now, Peter, okay, Peter would go on to call each of us holy. He would call us priests, right? Each of us as priests, each of us that have been saved by the blood of Jesus as priests. Now, in that right, okay, we are okay, even in our sinful nature, are drawn in as priests into this holy place to begin to worship. So there's a lot of symbolism here that we're going to talk about, all right? So on top of this table, all right, now I'm going to, I'm going to tell you the table, I believe, represents Jesus, okay? Now, on top of this table, there are 12 loaves of bread, now I've seen it represented in so many different ways. I've seen it represented in little disc of bread. It almost looks like non-bread, okay, stacked up or little pizza crust kind of stacked up on these golden plates that sit on top of this table. All right. But when I did this tabernacle experience in Israel, okay, they build it based on what scripture says, and it kind of looks like blocks like blocks, almost like Legos, if you will, okay? These, these kind of Lego blocks sitting on this table built 12 high, all right? Or six high on each side. Now, scripture's pretty clear about the idea that the 12 represents the 12 tribes of Israel, Okay? But as we talk about the idea that all of these things are a picture of the things in heaven, Jesus is very specific about the idea that bread represents him. Bread represents him because he is our substance, okay? He is the life-giving bread, Okay. So not only does the table in its wood covered in gold represents the humanity and deity of Jesus, but upon the humanity and deity of Jesus, we see the sustenance that we need, the life-giving bread. Now, I don't know if you guys, how well you know the scripture or not, but if you go into the story of David, you'll see that David is starving in the wilderness, running from Saul. He acts like a madman. He goes to the temple and they actually give him some of this showbread. All right. And it was one of those desperate moves that that David took and just because it was sustenance. So that is one of those important things that this bread represents is sustenance. Now, when you're in Jewish culture, it's important to understand, okay? Now, do we have, if you're Latin American, okay? If you're Cuban, all right? uh, If you're anywhere from South America, not sure so much about Spain, but bread is a snack in a lot of these cultures, right? Bread's more of a, I'll have a sandwich with it, I'll do these things, right? But in Jewish culture, bread is one of the main sustenances. It is important to have with every single meal. It is something that is always served it is a very very important food substance so when jesus refers to himself and when scripture refers to himself in the jewish culture as i am the bread of life as jesus does multiple times okay and we'll see it a lot in john chapter 6 and we'll get to that scripture in in a few minutes but when we look at that the jewish people would instantly understand oh he's everything he's literally saying i am everything right It's not he's just good to make a sandwich when you're feeling a little hungry. No, he is the very sustenance. He is the very element that you don't serve a meal without it. It's that important. If you lived in Thailand, if Jesus had have come to Thailand, he might have to the Thai people, through the Thai people, he might have said something a little different like, I am the rice of life. And literally, I had a friend that was serving God in Thailand, and he said, we've talked about the idea, because the Thai people think of bread as something maybe you have once a week. And so when you tell them that Jesus is the bread of life, they're like, oh, good, I can go to church, get it once a week, and that's all I need. It's like a snack, something I need, a little snack. So you've got to explain to them that he's as important as you look at rice, Oh, if you were to serve a meal without rice, you haven't served a meal. Okay? Now, the crazy thing, when I was in Peru, it was potatoes and rice together. Right? Unless they were having pasta. And then you have rice and pasta together. Yeah. With your bread because they still like lots of bread too. So every culture's a little bit different, but you've got to understand when you study the Old Testament specifically, you have to always relate it to the culture that's being spoken to at the time. And this is the Jewish culture, and this is very important that we understand this. So when God says there's this table, and it has life-giving bread on it, and every day these priests are gonna come in, and they're gonna see this bread, and these bread represents the 12 tribes, the way that God provides for his people, the way that God has always been there. Now here's the marvelous thing, and this is what I love about this illustration. Knowing that those 12 tribes, Loaves of bread represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Let's look at the 12 tribes of Israel for a second, right? Reuben. Reuben, the firstborn, lost his place as firstborn. Okay? He lost his place as firstborn because there was blood on his hands. They tricked a people, and then they slaughtered them. And there was blood on his hands, and he lost his place as firstborn. Firstborn is a position, not just it's a birthright, okay? But you can lose it. We see it in Jacob and Esau, where Esau sells his rights to his brother, right? So it, it is, it's a place in the family As much as it is a position in birth, you can be positioned, if you've done something, you can be positioned in a different different place, okay? And so we go throughout those 12 tribes, and and there's a lot of messiness in those 12 tribes, okay? Even Judah. If you know the story of Judah, oh, it's messy. It is messy. It's really messy. Uh, It's one of those where you pick up your Bible and you go, this thing should be rated R, If they made that into a movie, okay, I'll just give you a taste of that. Judah seduces his daughter-in-law, thinks she's a prostitute, gets her pregnant, has some twins. You can find it right there in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter one, when it talks about Tamar, that's Judah's daughter-in-law and he seduced her, okay, that's dirty, that's bad. Okay, sorry. Uh, but here's the thing. There's 12 loaves of bread, right? You know, Reuben's bread's not any smaller than Judah's bread. It's not any smaller than Joseph's bread. Joseph was super special, wasn't he? He was a type of savior. He delivered the people. His, as, he, as he went into slavery himself, his brother sold him into slavery. You guys know the story, Right? his coat of many colors he had visions he had dreams I'm studying all this anew because I'm putting together a new curriculum for my classroom a a survey of the Old Testament and I'm going through all of these stories in Genesis again and giving an overview of all of these stories so they're fresh but when you look at these 12 tribes they're messy some of them are way better than the others some of them, their stories are, are beautiful and, and redeeming and, and have all these wonderful things to them, and some of them, it's just ugly. Every loaf of bread is to be baked at equal weight. Every loaf of bread is of equal importance. What a beautiful testimony. Because when we're put up on Jesus, we are sinners in need of a savior and we all come to the table equal. Amen. Isn't that beautiful? Every bread is the same. It didn't matter what these 12 guys did. Every bread is the same. Because when we're put up on the table of Jesus and when we come to worship him, we are equal. It doesn't matter if you're the greatest missionary and you've wrote 14 books all about your missionary endeavors. That lady who looked and said, in the name of Jesus, stop, worships Jesus exactly the same way that you do. Sitting at his feet, worshiping her savior. She comes to him equally. He looks at her the same and he says, I love you. The same as this one that just came to me out of drugs. The same as this one that just came to me out of prostitution. I love you. 25 years of missionary, the wonderful things that you've done. I love you, and I love you. You just came out of prostitution yesterday. I love you. On my table, you're equal. You're equal. I love you the same. And it's beautiful. Every bread baked exactly the same, with the same weight, the same method, the same thing, and they represent the 12 tribes in all of their messiness, in all of their things. Because upon the table of Jesus, we're different, we're perfect. He accepts us. He brings us in. He doesn't look at all of the mess. Scripture says, and your sins will be removed as far as the east is from the west when we come to Jesus, right? So this is a beautiful illustration of salvation, okay? A beautiful illustration of salvation. Let's talk about the lamp. And now, as you read this description, when I was in Israel, uh, the, the Bible teacher, the middle school Bible teacher, uh, had mentioned to me several months ago, she's like, you know what I'd like to have? She, she said, I'd like to have a, uh, a seven-lamp menorah, like would be in the temple. Uh, and I know a lot of times when we think of menorah, we think of the nine-stem uh, one for Hanukkah, right? And so, but she said, I'd like to have a seven-one so that I can show my students uh, what it might look like. Now... Mind you, the Bible doesn't tell us how big it was, but it tells us how much it weighed, and it weighed a lot more than this, okay? Uh, So, uh, this may be five pounds, um, if not mistaken, uh, calculations are close to 100 pounds uh, for the original one, and uh, so it'd be about 20 times this size, okay? So you can imagine, probably fill this whole area here. Now, uh, so... There there are some videos online of a pastor who recreated all of these things, and uh, you can look those up, and you can see he recreated the table of showbread based on the dimensions. He recreated this to the best of his ability based on its weight because there's no specific dimensions given. Now, this particular representation of it is not precise, at all okay but it gives you an idea okay of, of what this kind of would have looked like and so there's these little cups at the top okay and now these little cups as we read about this all of this would be hammered out right and so what would happen here is that the little cups the cups that were on top now obviously if it's 20 times as big as this the cups are gonna be much bigger right now they would be filled with pure olive oil okay And so one of these early presses of the olive oil produces pure olive oil. Now, when we look at the lampstand itself, this is an interesting thing because it can represent a couple of different things. We see that it's made out of pure gold. It's not an overlaid thing. It's pure gold, right? Like the mercy seat, right? Now, I believe that the lamp represents the Holy Spirit because of the oil inside. We see all throughout the Scripture that the oil itself represents the Holy Spirit. And this is kind of a holding place for the Holy Spirit. But if you dig a little bit deeper in the book of Revelation, you get into Revelation chapter 1, okay, and it talks about seven lampstands in heaven. So John goes up to heaven. Remember that the things in the temple are a shadow or a representation of things in heaven. Now, John's in heaven, right? And he sees Jesus standing in the middle of seven golden lampstands. And he says, what is that? What do the lampstands represent? And there's seven stars. And so then later in that same chapter in verse 20, this is Revelation chapter one, verses 11 and 12, it sees the seven lampstands. And then in verse 20, it says, those seven lampstands represent the seven churches. The seven churches. And in chapter three, okay, in chapter two and three, you'll see the letters to the seven churches. Now, we believe as a church that those churches are symbolic. They were real churches, don't get me wrong, okay? They're letters written to real churches, but we believe that they're symbolic of a type of church. Not just an actual physical church, which it was, but also a type of church that still exists today. Okay, now, seven different styles. And if, if you kind of break them down and begin to study the seven different churches, you're like, yeah, there's definitely churches like that today, right? They're so good at serving people, but they've lost their first love, right? Oh, they've let the devil in their doors, and now they're practicing the things of the world as opposed to worshiping Jesus, okay? And you see all of these different churches, right? And and so, When we look at that, the the lampstand represents the church, right? Now, we talk about this because as a believer in Jesus Christ, we know that we become the temple. The temple in its physical nature is no longer necessary. It was destroyed in 70 AD, right? Right? And so scripture tells us in the book of Genesis that that the scepter will not pass from Judah's hand, okay, the scepter will not pass from Judah's hand before Shiloh comes, okay? And that's a reference to the Messiah. So in 70 AD, when the Romans destroyed the temple and they took away the kingship, the Jewish people ran into the streets And they ripped their clothes and they put ash upon them and they mourned because they said the temple is destroyed and the kingship no longer belongs to the hand of Judah. The scepter has been taken and the scripture was not fulfilled. But they missed it because it was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It was fulfilled in Jesus Christ long before so the temple was no longer necessary because upon the death of jesus when we receive the holy spirit we become the dwelling place of god scripture says did you not know that the holy spirit dwells in you okay so if the lampstand represents the church and the oil represents the holy spirit the holy spirit is dwelling inside of the church you and I right and because as we move into this area guys into this place right and this is not the this is the place where the common priest could come not just the high priest okay now, we know that we have access directly to the throne of God because of the work of Jesus Christ. But watch this. If this represents the church, if this represents the Holy Spirit, okay, Scripture is very clear to us in John chapter six, and I want to read this passage of Scripture to you because I think it's, it's so important. I lost everything. I don't know why. Everything just closed. It's okay. All right. John chapter six, okay, okay, Verses 44 through 50. It says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written for the prophets, and they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God and who is from the Father. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven, if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever in the bread that I will give uh, for the life of the world is my flesh. Now John goes on in chapter 16 to expound on the work of the Holy Spirit, being the one that reveals our sins to us and draws us unto the Father, okay? So watch this, in John chapter 16, remember this is all still the Apostle John, he didn't write in chapter and verse, he didn't write breaking things down, he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. When the spirit of truth comes, verse 13, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you, all right? So when we look at the holy place, we look at the representation of the church filled with the Holy Spirit, we look at the showbread representing people, God's redemption through Jesus Christ, i believe that we have this parallel meaning okay that through the church the holy spirit dwelling inside of us god is drawing people in to his holy place that they may eat of the sustenance that is jesus and that they may be fulfilled that they may be drawn into his presence through the work that he is doing. These things are a shadow of the things to come. Scripture says that no one comes to Jesus. No one comes lest the Father bid him come, right? Lest the Father draws him through. And John goes on to show us that it's through the work of the Holy Spirit revealing to us, the word used there is the Greek word, okay, and the word is para, And the word potter means to come alongside. And so when the Holy Spirit comes alongside of a non-believer and He shows them that they are sinners in need of a Savior, how does He do that, church? Many, many times He does that through you and I. The Holy Spirit dwelling inside of the church, reaching out to a lost world. The Holy Spirit, an eternal flame, working in us, living in us, purifying us, making us like Christ. That mercy seat upon the Ark of the Covenant in the pureness of its gold represents the perfect Jesus in his perfection, in the fullness of his glory. The blood shed upon him gives us full access to him. So the fullness and the pureness of the gold hammered out, beaten down, put into this shape, okay? Jesus is the head of the church. We are the church. The church is filled with the Holy Spirit. When things are functioning correctly, we get to be a part of God's tabernacle, of his plan to draw people in to the holy place. Where God dwells, is a holy place. Take off your shoes because you're standing in a holy place. Guys, Scripture said God dwells in us. He's an eternal flame. One of the jobs of the priest, and we'll get into this in Exodus chapter 27, and I'm gonna wrap it up here, and I love this part, but in Exodus chapter 27, one of the things that we see is one of the jobs of the priest is to keep the oil forever going in this When the tabernacle becomes permanent when there becomes a temple okay the flame can never go out it can never go out if it goes out they failed at their jobs right so their jobs were constantly putting fresh pure olive oil into the church fresh pure olive oil oil also represents the word of god in scripture Fresh, pure spirit, word of God poured up on and the wicks constantly trimmed. Because when the wicks are trimmed, the flame grows higher. If you ever burn candles in your house, you know, right? If you have good candles, you keep your wicks trimmed and your candle will burn clean and it will burn pure. If you don't keep your wicks trimmed, they get these little weird balls on the end of them, they burn funny, the, the, the wax doesn't melt correctly. All the, Did you guys know all that about candles? It's true, right, it's true. But their job was to trim the wicks and to keep the oil full, to keep the oil full. That was the job of the priest. Okay? So we see this parallel meaning as we move into the holy place and I think it's a beautiful p- picture of the redemption that we find in Jesus and the way that he wants to use us. David Guzik, if I can get my notes back up, this thing keeps, it is just not acting well today. David Guzik said this, and I, David is one of my favorite commentators, that's too, I said Warren Wiersbe, David Guzik, uh, so, uh, but David Guzik is a, uh, and he's a friend of Daniel, I actually got to meet him, uh, which was surprising, I do do you know him, Esteban, have you met him? Yeah. Um, so he actually came down and, and shared with us uh, one evening. And I had been using his commentaries for years and years and years. Uh, and you're like starstruck. You're like, uh, right? But he's just a pastor. God just used him to write some commentaries and they're really great. He said, the priests were to tend the lamps, making sure that the lamps had oil to burn and that their wicks were trimmed so that the lamps would never go out, especially during the night. God never wanted the lamps to lose their fire. Only by the continual supply of oil and trimming of the wicks could keep them burning. We can only continue to be on fire for God if we are continually supplied with the oil of the Holy Spirit and are trimmed by God to bear more light. The more we allow the work of the Holy Spirit to burn in our lives, the brighter we will be in this dark world. Do you know that the holy place, the inner court of the temple, that inner sanctuary of the temple would have been pitch black with no light getting in the way that they had it built. And this was the source of that light. This world is dark. And you, the church, through the power of the Holy Spirit with Jesus, through the power of the name of Jesus, we're called to be a light in this dark world, in this dark world. And that, my friends, can create a holy place. It can create a holy place. You've been drawn into God's holy place tonight because of the work of Jesus on the cross and the Holy Spirit revealing our sinfulness to us, part of his job, showing us the cross. Where the golden lamp stand. We're the golden lampstand filled with the Holy Spirit in need of wick trimming on a regular basis. So let's take a few minutes now. Let's enter in to this holy place and worship the Lord. Continue worshiping the Lord. Meditate on his cross, the work that he did for us. That these things, that we may become a part of what these things represent. It is a great privilege to be called the church. It is a great privilege to be a child of God. Not everybody's a child of God. John one twelve says, Those that believe on him are given the privilege, the right to be called sons and daughters. We are his church. He is the head of the church and we are the body. The Holy Spirit dwells in us and we are called to be an ever-burning fire of light in this dark world. Let's prepare our hearts for communion as Nico comes and plays for us. This is Pastor Daniel Williams at Redemption Church in Delaware Beach. Thank you so much for listening to that message. We pray it was an encouragement, it was a blessing to you as we love to pursue and to proclaim Jesus together. And so no matter where you're listening, whether it be YouTube or our podcast, you can go to more resources at redemptiondb.com and even partner with us in ministry to pursue and to proclaim Jesus. God bless you and thank you so much for listening.